Lord, we just ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, help us to see what you'd have us to see from it, and just to see a revelation of what you'd like to see us to see from Revelations. We ask for your guidance and leading, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's a very short section, so we're going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back to kind of tear it apart a little bit. Here's one. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he that sat <coughs> was to look upon like jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And around about the throne were twenty-four seats, and upon the seats I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightning and thunder and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, and which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a glass, sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, around about the throne, were the four beasts, were, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast was like a calf, the third beast was like the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they had, were full of eyes therein. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is, and is to come. And when those beasts give glory, the honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they were created. All right, so we got a kind of an interesting picture here that we're looking at, and we're going to kind of look at, tear it down, give you, give you what some people say about it, and, and lead into what I, where, the side that I fall down on, and then you guys can figure out where you want to believe, and that's fine by me, because as I've said about Revelation, there's very little that we can say with absolute assurity in Revelation because it's all in the future. And one of the things that I have seen over the years of study in eschatology, which is the study of end times, is that it changes <laughs> depending on who, who, who the main, main players are in the world and, and all of this. They'll change your mind on who, who these people are and who these individuals are. And so... You don't want to take these with an ironclad, this is what it's got to mean. What do you call it, eschatology? Eschatology, and I'll have to spell it to you later because I don't know how to spell it off the top of my head. I believe it's E-S-C-O-C-H-O-L-O-G-E-Y, but I don't remember it off the top of my Better head. close enough. Uh, so just want to be careful on this because, you know, we look at the Jews and how they looked at Jesus and the Messiah. They totally missed that Jesus was the Messiah because they were absolutely sure that when the Messiah came that he would be establishing Israel as the world power and they would be the world power from that point forward. They weren't looking for a savior of a, of, of, and, and a sacrifice for their sins as was very clear in the Old Testament. 
but they ignored what they didn't really want to see. And we all do the same thing, and this is one of the things that I want us to always be careful of when we're looking at the study of end times, eschatology, be careful that we don't get so locked in that we actually miss what goes on around us. And you've ever been there, uh, uh, if, you, if you've ever had the experience of seeing somebody and knowing somebody in one setting and you know how they're dressed and everything, and then you see them in a totally different setting where, uh, and you don't even recognize them. It's really, really happened to me many times in the, in the restaurants because we had a uniform and the hair would be pulled up and, you know, because they couldn't wear it, you know, they couldn't wear it down and long and get in their face. And then you'd see, see some of these girls, it was usually girls that were unrecognizable, and, and you'd see them in, out shopping or something, and their, their hair that's normally been pulled up is down the middle of their back, and, you know, and there's just a total different appearance, and you're going, this person looks vaguely familiar, I know. You know, you work with them every day, and then you don't recognize them outside. You know, we don't want to get into this where we have our minds so focused on this is the way it has to be that we totally miss what happens. So we're going to look at this and it says, you know, we just got finished with the message to the seven churches and it says, and after this I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. Can you imagine looking up and being able to look into heaven and all of a sudden he sees it? You know, Stephen had that same thing when he was being stoned. He looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus he had that same kind of the door opened up and there was Jesus in the heaven standing up and, and basically welcoming him. I just can't imagine in a fly about when you go to heaven, what it's really going to be like. Yeah. Yeah. All we can do is look at what the yeah. Bible does yeah. tell us about yeah. it, which isn't a whole lot. I mean, it, it talks a lot about heaven, but yet it doesn't tell us yeah. much about heaven. And a lot of times they, they make it sound like it's because it is so beyond anything that we can conceive like of. Like streets and paved in gold and like, I can't picture that. Well, well it's, I can I, picture streets I mean, of gold. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just, you know. And that's probably not even what it is. I know. Because yeah, he says that it was like unto gold. Yeah. Uh, he saw something like unto pearl. Uh, so this is, this is the hard part, but he sees, he looks up and then he says there's a door. And then he heard a voice as it were a trumpet talking with me saying, come up hither and I will show you the things that must be hereafter. Now this verse, a lot of people will try to tell you that this was a verse about the rapture and it, I do not buy that. This is Jesus just saying, come on up, I want to show you, I, want, I got some things to show you. I do not believe this has anything to do with the, the rapture. They'll, they'll say, well, it sounded like a trumpet and all this stuff, you know. And I do not, I do not believe that uh, it's for you to understand or not. But I don't buy that that belief, and most scholars do not believe that it's part of the rapture. There's a handful out there that will say this is the rapture. He's, you know, the rapture happened right at verse, you know, chapter four, verse one. You know, John. Right? Uh, it's just calling John up. John, I want to show you all the stuff you're going to see. Yeah. You know, I've got a lot of things to show you, and so we we see him coming up. And then verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He saw the throne of heaven, and of course he saw God sitting on the throne. And this brings up, this brings up pictures of Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. With twain he did cover his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And they cried unto one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors moved, and the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So we get this picture. Isaiah saw God just as John is seeing God in a very glorified manner sitting on a throne and we see lots of we read that because we're going to see lots of bits and pieces of this uh, Isaiah 6 being mentioned in here as we go on but he sees God and you know we all have to be in a place where we have some way that we have seen God or experienced God to be motivated to continue serving him because Isaiah in verse 6, he's already been the prophet for King Uzziah for quite a while, but his eyes weren't fully on God. But when King Uzziah died, all of a sudden he changed his focus and put him on God. And we've got to be careful, where is our trust? Because we can trust in good things. For years, the Christians oftentimes put their trust in America basically being a Christian country. Not necessarily, you know, not saying they totally forgot God or anything, but their trust was we're protected by our country, not by God. And we've got to keep our focus on God. And this is where Paul, uh, yeah, Paul, this is where John is being shown, here's a picture of God sitting on a throne. And there's a, there's a big picture involved here. The king sitting on the throne was showing a number of things. Number one, he was showing that he is in control. He's not, he's not in battle. He's at peace because he's sitting on his throne because if he was at war, he would be out at battle. But sitting and resting, when he sat on the throne, he was in judgment. He was, he was ruling over his people or accepting gifts back from them. In the throne room, in the castle throne room, that was the one place the commoners could come and present their needs before the king. That one room in the castle, in the throne room, if, you're, if you've done any study in castles, you walk through the main gates of the castle and you would walk into basically a foyer which led into the throne room. And the throne room was the only part of the castle that the average person could go, to. Could go into. You, you didn't go walking into the bedrooms and the living rooms and... You know, in the kitchens, you might, you know, you, on a special event, you would be the feast, the, the feasting rooms would be on one side or the other of it. But, and you could be invited to a feast, but most commoners would never be invited to a, to a feast. You know, you, you had to be somebody special to be invited to a feast. But the throne room, which was the first room that you would really enter into, was where anybody could go into. And we think, and you read the beginning of Job, Satan appeared before God in the throne room, the one place, the one and only place that he can go to in, in the heavenlies is the throne room of God. And when he comes, he brings accusations. But the throne room is that place and God sits on it in judgment. He sits there and this is, where, this is what John sees. He sees God sitting. At peace, no, 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 no problems. He's sitting, having 
petitions brought to him and making judgments. And this is a very powerful picture when you think about it all the way through. You know, the more I learn about this, this is a really the first time I really get the feeling where I can't wait. <laughs> I really can't wait, you know, because it, it sounds so peaceful. Yes. God is at peace. He's sitting. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God because he's finished his work. And here we are, we're seeing, John is seeing God sitting there. And he says he sees him, he's, it looks like Jasper. And Jasper is multicolored stone, and carry, but the most precious Jasper is clear, transparent, so transparent. God is sitting on the throne with transparency. And then he looks, says that he's seen it, and as sardine. What is that rainbow? Huh? The rainbow's down below. Yeah. But sardine is a blood oh, yeah, red stone. I've never he, heard of that. Huh? Sardine stone. It's, there's all, you get, you, you start getting in all these things. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not a gemologist, yeah, so yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, I, right. I actually have to look all these up and see what yeah. they're talking about. But the, it comes in different colors, but it's, it's most precious one is blood red. Representing the blood of Christ, covering, covering over God so that God can even deal with people even there. So we see, again, we see the, the picture of God in his transparency. He's open. He's, he's ready to deal with people. And then we also see the blood of Christ. And then we see the rainbow around about the throne. God's promise not to flood the earth again was through rainbow. And we see the rainbow all through the scriptures. All through the scriptures we see the rainbow representing and it and it and it says it's in, in sight like into an emerald. So somehow this rainbow is being covered with a greenish <laughs> greenish hue you know, to it. I see rainbow. Now I think of God before I never thought of it. <laughs> I really do I just think he, you know. Yes. And uh, that's an important thing because the rainbow is a sign, it is the promise that God's not gonna flood the world. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to flood localities, yeah, but it's yeah. the promise that, and I, and I do, I see the rainbow, and I just say, thank you, God, you're so, you're so precious, you know. And yes, I understand the science of yeah. the rainbow and all of that, but I do see God. But it's funny, huh? I mean, not funny, but I know you guys probably seen all, all this stuff. <clears throat> to me, it's new, and it's just so neat. I, I'm experiencing the, mm -hmm. the, the beauty and the wonder, and you know it's, it's going to be there. And that's going to be true. The more you learn about God's word, the more things are going to just leap up for you. The more you've grown into the word. The, you know, and this is important. This is why I want people to read the word. And reading is just the first step. Ultimately, I want to get people to study the word, yeah. which is the next step beyond reading. But if I can get people to read, getting them to study is not that hard. The next step would be, though, to go into meditation to take the word that you've been taught and studied and really just muse on it, which is your, where you're starting to get. You're starting yeah. to see, you know, you take the lessons and you start going, you think about them and you start looking around you and you see how, how applicable what you're learning is all about. And to muse or to meditate on, the, on God's word is so important and, and that is just to think about it over well, and over again. Especially like you always say, and I always say before I read the Bible, please help me to understand it and to learn it and not just to read it, but to understand it and show me how to understand it. And before I would just read it and never really pray, but yeah. 
this house and help me to read the words too. <laughs> and and this is the critical part. Reading reading if you're just reading it like a book. It's not doing you much good. God's word doesn't return void. It'll it'll get stuck in there a little bit. But that idea of reading to understand and then reading, then to learn to study, and then to take it that next step, to really muse upon it. Because when you when you really muse and you meditate and you think about it, and then you go weeks later and you go, I remember when I you know, and you could almost quote the verses because you thought about them. So and maybe not necessarily quote the verse, but you yeah. know what the material was all about. But see, like I know now, I know I understand why people when they read other books they really enjoy. It. I don't really ever read any other book, but this book is the one book I'm reading, and I'm like I sometimes I can hear them walking down the cobblestone or you know. I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm just exaggerating or thinking, no, I'm really yeah. into it, you know, and right. I love it. Yep. Okay, so. Now, as, as I was reading this chapter, I was thinking about what we talked about on numbers last week, and I have this handout. And I want to bring this out because the tabernacle that God gave the Jews to build, okay, he told them to be, he told Moses to be careful to make it exactly the way he told him to make it with the right dimensions, the right, we're, we're going to go on to this as we go on, as we look at this. Because uh, we're not going to concentrate on the cross part, cross oh, no, part I today. That. That's what I was just looking at. But the, number, the numbers of the people and the way they were aligned made a, crop, made a general cross on the, on the alignment of the people. The numbers. Now I understand what, what you were talking about, uh, the numbers. Yeah. But as I'm seeing this picture here, I am picturing the camp of Israel. God sits on a throne, but the throne that he sits on is the heavenly mercy seat. The mercy seat is in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle, where God sits. Beside him, in the holy place, in the tabernacle, is Jesus. He's the showbread. He's the, he's the altar. He's the, the uh, menorah. The prayers of the saints are, are the in, altar of incense. Now, in the camp... Around there, you see Levi in the center of this cross on the, on the handout I've given you. The priest camped around the tabernacle and the, and the, and the, and the Levites. Okay, they, they camped around the tabernacle. And we're going to bring this all in as we get back to the numbers, but we're giving you the description of this. Around the Levites <coughs> were camped the 12 tribes grouped in four groupings. And if you look at this picture I gave you, and it says in, in Leviticus that they were under the standard of, okay? And if you look in the east, the standard of Judah is a lion. Judah is the lion of, the lion is his standard. Reuben's standard has a picture of the face of a man. That's the one on the south of the corner. In the west is Ephraim, and Ephraim is represented by the ox or the bull. We want to just go over these. And in the north was Dan, and Dan is an eagle, is a picture of an eagle on his standard. Okay? Which you, those now may make sense. When we read this, we talked about the, the four beasts, which are literally living beings, represented by these four standards. 
So we're going to get in there and we're going to show you what I think about it and what others have said about it. So I just wanted to hand that out to you because I'm, when I'm looking at this scene, the Israeli camp in numbers in, is a picture of what goes on in heaven. And so we're going to draw this all together and how it, how it matches up. Hopefully this will all make sense. Okay, verse 4, around about the throne were 24 seats or thrones, and upon these seats I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So we look at this, this one verse, nobody really knows who the 24 elders are, because this is about all, all that's told to us. There's a group of people who say that they're angels. I do not believe that they're angels myself because they're clothed in white raiment and have crowns upon their heads, okay? Um, and angels aren't redeemed. The white raiment you almost always refers to redemption, putting on Christ, being, being made pure. And the angels aren't redeemed. Men are redeemed. So it's very, to me, it's very clear that these are men and not angels. Now the next question, of course, is what men are they? And that gets to be more problematic. Uh, and because they are redeemed, they are crowned with gold, they are probably referring to us as Christians, some, some number of us as Christians. And, and because, again, I'm going to back to this picture of the camp of Israel. Around the around the camp were the Levites. The Levites were part of the priest, you know, and Aaron's family was the priests. In 1 Chronicles chapter 24, and I'm not going to read it because it's a long list of names, but in 1 Chronicles 24, David organized the priest into 24 divisions. So I believe that this is a reference to priests. Now, whether it's Levitical priests, I don't believe. I believe it is Christians as priests. Because we are, in, according to you know, 1 Peter, we are a royal priesthood. Okay, So I believe that we as Christians are wrapped around the throne in our redeemed state in, this, in the picture of this 24 elders. And whether it's literal elders or... You know, or a grouping of people. I'm not going to get into that. You know, whether it's the 24 best Christians that have ever lived, I don't, I don't know. Or so you're thinking it would be 24 people, not 24 groups. They could have like 5,000. I have a feeling myself that it's groups. That's not because 24 would be hard for this whole world. I think 24 do. hours. Um, no, they don't say hours. No, because there's no time in there, so there's no time in there. Twenty-four, and then they have all. They could be but it is, but it is benches. I mean, I don't know who it is. There, people, number of people will tell you that it is the twelve disciples and a representative from each tribe of 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 Israel. That is not far fetched. I, I I could buy into that. I could buy into that as well. Uh, it puts a great, great privilege on being the the apostle, you know, having to been born at the right time to be an apostle, and that's, you know, I can buy that. It's, you know, and I'm not going to argue that that can't be, uh, you know, is it the 24, you know, people that have allowed God to use them the most in all of all of history? 
Yeah, we don't know exactly, and there and there's all kinds of speculation on who these 24 elders are. I just don't buy that they're angels. Okay. That'd be Some, somebody up really high. Somehow, I believe that they, you know, they're either groups of people or individual people because they are sitting on a throne. And it, it's hard to see that yeah, they're yeah, groups know, because it yeah, is yeah, a throne. Yeah. It is. It, it. They are in singular, basically a singular. So, but this is where we want to look. But they are circling the throne, just as the the priest did in around the tabernacle, around the around the the tabernacle of the people. So, and the other question is, we are the bride of Christ. We, Jesus said, we're going to sit at his right hand. So it's hard to say that it's Christians down here circling the throne. See, that's the only thing that really still throws me off when yeah. you always said the bride of Christ. They yeah. always just... Well, because we are one, we so are one entity. Yeah, but it's just... It's like a parable. It's hard for me to, like, why don't you say it an easy way so I understand it, you know? That's yeah. just a little harder. It's one of those things that we have to yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. to learn to understand. My, my body is made up of millions of things, yeah. millions of yeah. individual pieces, yeah. but it's one body. So the, the bride of Christ is made up of many, what we would say individuals, but they're one body. We're one church. That See, even just that helped me out a lot when you just said that. Okay. One church is the then the church is married to Christ and as as the bride. So my question on who these are is is wondering is because we're the bride of Christ sitting at his right hand, how can this be Christians? So I almost have I tend to fall down to the place where I believe these are the saved Jews that are around around about. And that's a speculation because it's hard to hard to prove and you know it's an impossibility to prove. But it is what it is, and, and nobody really knows. And you, you look up the 24, and you never really find anything other the closest thing you can find of is the 24. In Ezekiel, it talks about 25 people around the temple with their backs to the temple looking outward. Could that be them? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so it is an interesting, interesting place. And again, this is one of those really strong ones where we just can't make any strong statement of who these people are. And there's many places in here that we're not going to know exactly who some people are. And uh, all we can do is say, this is, you know, look at what thing, look where we're at. Verse 5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of burn, fire burning before the throne, which, were, which are the seven spirits of God. So we started the very first part of this chapter, that, that there's lightnings and thunders and voices. And this we look at way back in Exodus chapter 19. This is why we have to know our Old Testament, because a lot of these pictures come right back to the Old Testament. Start at verse 16 in chapter Exodus 19. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, they're outside of Sinai, the people of Israel are outside of Sinai, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and the voice of a trumpet exceedingly loud so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth, all, all, forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke because the Lord descended upon it and in fire and smoke Therefore ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole multitude quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. 
So we see the picture of God. And God seems to appear, the Father appears in this very powerful picture of smoke and fire and lightning. Uh, we see it on Mount Sinai. We see it when, when he met with Moses as a burning bush. Uh, we see it in, when Jesus is baptized. We don't see the lightning and everything, but we hear the, the, see the loud voice that descends and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We see it in the uh, Mount of Transfiguration when God appears in the smoke that comes down upon them when Peter goes, you know, God, uh, Lord, should we, should we create some booze for you guys? Because it is a good thing that we're here. And then smoke descends upon the mountain, and out of the smoke they hear this voice saying, you know, this is my son, you know, listen to him. It doesn't talk about fire and, and lightning, but I have a feeling that the fire and lightning was there, but the smoke overpowered everything. God appears, when the Father appears, He's appearing with this great power. Oh, it's like a lot of times he said, listen to my son. This is my son. Yeah. He said that a lot. Yes. So. And we see this. And, and you think about sometimes when you see a really big lightning storm over, oh. over the mountains. And, you know, you know up here you're right in the middle of it. Or if you look across the way and see it over there. But you see... You know, in Kingman, because we're surrounded by the mountains in that little bowl, we see it all the time. The, the, the clouds right up on the mountains and the lightning strikes. And, I think and like, he's mad. He's letting <laughs> you know that he's here. But every time I see those, those kind of storms, I think back, God is this storm, this That's lightning. Why, that's why I say now whenever I see certain things and that from reading, I, say, I think of that. I say, God is mad at me. Well, in some cases, though, even this, it wasn't as, he wasn't angry. It was just his display Let of his know that power. He that he has a power, yeah. It's the display of his power, and it's the, the, the picture of how powerful and omnipresent and om, om, omnipotent he is. He's got all power, and this is what this storm, this stormy picture looks like. And then it says, and there were the seven lamps of the burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. These lampstands, we talked about them back in chapter 1, and, and the, the, the lampstands, the picture of Jesus' the spirit. And my personal opinion that we go back to Isaiah 11:2, and there's a lot of people that say there's not seven spirits there, but there's three sets of two and one extra. But to me, there's seven spirits are represented in Isaiah Chapter 2, uh, 11, chap uh, 11, yes. chapter 11, verse 2, which I'll go back and read just so we... What? Isaiah 11, oh. verse 2. I'll start at 1. And there came shall come forth a, a, a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, to me, this is showing the seven, seven spirits of God. Uh, I've read a number of theologians that say, no, that's, you know, not, that's not, you know, it's just three, set, you know, three things, you know, three, and then you count the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, Again, it's one of those things you have to make decisions on how you want to interpret that. I interpret this as that's the answer to this. Other than that, I have no idea who the, what the seven spirits of God would be. 
Uh, so we want to, and there are some people who try to make the seven spirits of God into the seven, you know, seven mighty angels or something. And again, angels aren't God, so that that doesn't fit. <laughs> And I always say angels are just helping God. They're helpers. They're ministers. They're like uh, there are classes of angels. There are defending angels. There are there are serving angels. There, you know, and we we see those as well. But God, the, just the power of the presence that John is seeing. He's seeing the thunder and the lightning and the power, and then he sees the spirit, the the ministering spirits of God sitting right there before him. That's why whenever there's storms and stuff, I'm I'm so happy to see the lightning and stuff. I figure I want this world to see that he still has power over us. He always will have power over us. These idiots that think they can do what they want, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're answerable they to God. Harness a lightning bolt, they could power a lot of stuff, yeah. but they haven't figured that out yet. No, we can't. It's not uh, just that. It's just that. That's God's is power. God's they, power. They can't harness it. Yep. And in the in the temple, they've got the seven seven lamps. You know, you see the seven lamps on the menorah, the seven the seven lights. You know, so there's all kinds of sevens involved in this. And again, I just see a picture of the tabernacle. Seven's completion. The seven is the number of completion or perfection. And so we've got this thing, and then it says, and before the throne was a sea of glass likened to crystal. And this is kind of an interesting picture, a, a sea of glass in front of the throne. And we don't really know anything about what that glass, is, glass and picture, picture is. But in ver uh, chapter 15, verse 2, we see the same thing. I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that got in victory over the beast. You know, he's talking about a sea of glass. So we don't know completely what it was, but it, but it is something that stands before God. And if you think about it, sometimes there's these, the sea of glass may just be a reflection of his glory. We see, you know, Reflection pools a lot of times before monuments that reflect back what is what the monument is. You, you've got a in uh, Washington D.C. You've got the reflection pool that that goes out from from many of the memorials and reflects back the memorial. So this glass could just be a reflection back to God, and that and this is where they got the idea of reflection pools of reflecting back the glory of what you've made and. And that is one of the things that they believe that this is, is the reflection back of God's glory. And I love the reflection, like we're in the water, the reflection of the, mm -hmm. of the mountains or whatever. Yes, and that's a, that's, that happens. And showing forth the ma majesty. And, and we go into this and it says, And around about the throne were four beasts. And beast is a bad translation. It is living beings. It is not beasts. It's just living creatures. Living creatures. I thought they were creatures. <laughs> Well, I like the Mine Greek. Says beast, but the, the the King James says beast. Some of the newer translations says creatures. Greek literally is living beings, which can include can include beasts and creatures, but can also include mankind. And so I like the term living living beings better than any of the other translations out there. B e a n s. 
B-E-I-N-G-S. Oh, beans. B-E-I-N-G-S. I have to ask Like guess. human beings. Okay, human beings. So, and four l- living beings. And it says they're full of eyes both behind and before. And the first was likened to a lion. The second was likened to a calf. The third was likened to a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. This is a picture that we see quite often through the scriptures. Now, there are different views of who who and what these four uh, beasts or beings are. Uh, One, and I'm going to give this to you, even though I don't buy into it, but a number of people believe that this is a picture of Jesus. Okay? A picture of Jesus being... As a man, sympathetic. As a lion, his royalty. As an ox, his endurance. And the eagle as his soaring deity. Okay. There's a number of people that that teach that and and believe it. I think it stretches this a little too far, but my way stretches it. They'll say that my way stretches it too. Uh, But I, when I looked at this immediately, because we've been teaching numbers and the organization of the tribes of Israel, I thought immediately to the standards of the tribes of Israel. And so I believe that this is the picture of how the people will be separated around the throne. Because, again, I'm seeing the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a recreation of the court of heaven. And so I, when I start seeing the tabernacle and I start saying, here's the tabernacle, the throne of God, the real one, not the, not the, not the symbolic one. Okay, how do I now apply all the rest of the symbolism? The priests, those who are closest to God that serve him and minister to him, followed around by the tribes of Israel, which may not, in this case, be the literal tribes, but the Christians being divided amongst around the throne beyond beyond that. So this is gets you kind of a picture of how does how does organize God is a God of organization. Okay? God is not a God of chaos. He organizes things. And this is when, when we're doing the book of Numbers, we're saying God is organizing his people, getting them ready for how they're going to travel with millions of people and make their travels successful, how they're going to camp how they're going to be organized. God organizes his church. He organizes it with pastors and deacons and, and all these different positions in there, but he, but he does things in order. And very important that we understand everything is done in decently in order with God. And so I believe that we're seeing this picture of heaven as John sees it as a picture of the reality of the symbol that we see from the Israelites and their forming around the tabernacle. Now that is my opinion, and I'm not the only one that has that opinion, but it, I know that I'm in the minority on that opinion. So if you all want to find something and disagree, I have no problem with people disagreeing with it. That's up to them. Uh, but it is what I see because I look at the tabernacle was a picture of heaven, and then God organized his people around the tabernacle. And so I picture the same thing for us. 
and take that for what it's worth and and in really not not worth that much because it's just my opinion I can't prove any of it other than with lots of study that I've done okay so we, we continue past this and it says the four beasts each of them had six wings and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying holy 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come and this immediately many people will go back to Isaiah 6 which we read where the angels were flying around the throne with their six wings, the seraphim, which were seraphim flying around the throne with their six wings. And so this is why they try to bring the, back the angels back into this, <laughs> into this picture. And, you know, at this point, it might be angels around the around about, you know, if we go back to the original and we say it's Christians around the, around the throne in the 24 elders position, the, the, the priest, Possibly angels complete the circle around that as the protectors because on the, on the tabernacle, the, the tribes were around about them to protect and make it so they couldn't get, you know, the enemy couldn't get into the tabernacle. They had to go through all, the, all these tribes. So it is possible that the outer, outer part are angels that, that, that are, are surrounding. Didn't you say that there's only a few places where he does have holy, holy, holy three times? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you see something triple, it's any, any, anything you see tripled yeah. up is, is something to look up. And they are, they are rare. Uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah use them a lot. See, that's another thing I notice now whenever I see them. I, I, I try to look for it. Are they three times saying anything? Because I want to... Well, when God says something two or yeah. three times, you want to really say, okay... And it's the same thing when you're trying to make, and this is why I can't be very dogmatic about the 24 elders. There's nothing about them, number one. There's only three or four mentions of the 24 elders, even in Revelation, and none of them really define who they are. So we can't be real dogmatic about it. And this is true of anything. If you're going to read something and you say, God, I, wow, you get excited. God shows you something. Well, make sure that, it, that what you're looking at matches the rest of Scripture. Because you, you see something and, you know, there's an, old, there's an old story about people just thumbing through the Bible and trying to find advice, you know, and, and what they, you know, they, they read, you know, that uh, uh, Judas Iscariot was, you know, troubled by what he did to Jesus. And then go, well, I don't want that. And they flip the Bible. And he went and hung himself. Oh, I don't want that. They flip it again. Go and do likewise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's another thing, too, is like I noticed they repeat the thing over a bunch of times, which is good. Like, I read that. I knew it was. And over. that is something that the more, it's the more it's mentioned, the more you know that this is that, important. Yeah. The more you know that this is something I need to pay attention to. And sometimes it's not just a little thing. It's a lot. A lot, yeah. Sometimes it's in the context, in the verse, or it's been yeah. used before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I never and, and quoted. If you do a random like that, it's not going to... No, you've got, to, you've got to figure out what, it, what, what the verses mean yeah, and where they're honest, at. Yeah, I never really realized that until yeah. I, I'm reading it all the way through and really reading, not just, you know, yeah. reading it. And if you're just going to pick a verse up, you want to read the context on it because yeah. you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you take the verses out of context. Sure. So, and so we talked about these six wings that they had and... If you look at the wings to be very much like Isaiah 6, 
they covered their faces with reverence. They couldn't. They would decided they couldn't look at God. You know, they wouldn't look on God because of the reverence and and their feet are covered in humility. And then with flying is rapid obedience is what most people determine that those mean. So this could just be a picture, okay. And this is where we're, this is where we get into some kind of interesting because I tend to, as I said at the very beginning, I want as much as possible to say these mean what they say, okay? And that's why I want to be careful with the 24 elders, you know, trying to make them a group of people because it very clearly you could have, you know, what it says, 24, 24 thrones with one person on each throne. You're getting close to the pretty soon another. Yeah. So you've got you to be careful of making this too symbolic because this is you know, 24 thrones. I can have 24 thrones and I can have, you know, one person on each throne. And that's why I'm, I'm very leery of saying that it's groups of people, you know, but how do I figure out who those 24 people are? I have no idea. Uh, and that kind of bothers me a little bit. Uh, these beasts with, that, are, that are described, there could literally be individuals that look at this, but I think it's too close to the, too close to the setting up of the standards and, and grouping. So to me, I have... I really have no problem with taking this one as a symbolic. Okay. I have to give you some of my notes later on because I am at my friend's place and there's seven day Adventists and we're, they're doing revelations and it's mm -hmm. totally different. But I wrote it all, wrote down a lot of things, what these things mean. You know, yeah. I'm just, I'm agreeing with her, so I just don't make no things. And it's it's really a tough area to to deal with because. It is in the future. It is hard to come, and you have to look at other scriptures and look at other places. And this is why, and like I said, when I read this, especially after having just gone through uh, numbers last, last week, I'm going, this sounds too much like Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers to be, to be uh, too consequential. And I really do believe that this is a picture of the reality that God's tabernacle showed in symbolic and symbols. And again, that's for everybody to take for what they want to understand. And so they're, they're, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the, the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And holy pure, majestic, worthy of veneration. You know, this is powerful. To, to repeat that three times is a very powerful statement. You know, and he's saying they're, the people are praising. They're praising the God. And then, then it talks about his eternality, which was and is and is to come. How eternal he is. He covers all of time. And when the, the beast or the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever, and there's a comma here. So, and this, verse, this thing when it says when, there's a very technical part of Greek here. It doesn't mean that they continually always gave this praise, but it was a repetitious thing. They kept doing it. And then they would, they would pause for a while, and then they'd do it again. And they'd pause for a while, and they'd do it again. Okay, it wasn't that they were doing it continually all the time. 
Okay, and this is, it was, it, the Greek brings out that it is the notion of repetition and not unbroken continuation. Okay, so it's something they're doing a lot, but not continually. But when they did it, the 24 elders fell down before him and cast a, a, around the throne and worshipped him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Now, that's the same elders that they were just talking yes. about? Yes. That's right. And that's why it's either a group of people or, or yeah, one and whatever. I'm not going to get very much into this, but, you know, the elders sit there. Most people say that it's 24 individuals. Okay. And I'm not going to argue that. I, I can't argue that because, again, the way I read it is as is, is often as possible. It, it is literal. If it can be taken literal, it should be taken literal. And here we are. The, when the group around the beast, the, the group around the elders, they bring up this praise and they start singing holy, 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 then, and they are giving glory, and glory is a powerful word. Glory means to give splendor, brightness, majesty, to exalt, and they give honor, they place value on a thing. And this is very important, we will not honor something that we don't value. And we think about that, you know, your, your cheapest plate, you know, in your, in your house that you don't care if it gets broken, you know, you know, you know, you don't want people to break it on purpose, but if it was broken, it's not a big deal. Or your precious china that belonged to your great, great grandmother. And it's like, you know, if that gets broken, there's this, this was honored. It, it's important. You know, you place value on something and it, and it's honored. And then to give thankful, to acknowledge God's mercy. So this was, the, this is what the beast did. And when they did that to the to the to the throne, the twenty-four elders fell down on their faces. That's literally what it means. They prostrate themselves. They fall down on their faces, and they worship him. And they cast, huh? That's one thing I've learned too. I don't take. Um, um, I used to say I have to. I can't get rid of. I have no, I mean, I have value, but I always tell people, well, if you really like it, I did like it. I had it long enough to let somebody else enjoy it. I said, mm -hmm. because when you die, you can't take it with you. And the, and the, less, the less we put value on physical way, physical material, the more, the, the better. And Maybe higher price, but I will get rid of it. I, yeah, I've had some people go, well, well, you know, how can, how can you handle it this, that something, you know, something is taken? I'm going, because it doesn't mean that much to me. Nothing means that much to me. My God is what I care about. And I probably put a higher value on this than anything oh, yeah, else yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else that I have. And yet, if somebody steals my Bible, I'm going to go, well, hopefully, would, hopefully they learn something yeah. from my notes or whatever in the, in the Bible. You know, it's, but the key to everything is Don't take who that. should we honor? It needs to be God. God needs to be the one we honor, that we put the weight on, that we put the value on that we're thankful to. And like, I, cause I always think like, I just lost, which is, at first it was a big deal. I said, no, because I mean, I can't think about it. I lost, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, I was wearing those earrings, I lost the one, cause it did come out. I, looked, I said, well, there's a reason for everything I lost, but I can't put a value on it because it's just a stupid earring. You know, so before I would like, oh, I lost my earring, I lost my earring. Yeah. Yep. Then the, when, when the, the, Beast or the people that represent the beast or whatever around the throne, they worship the 24 elders bow down. 
They basically hit their face, is what it says. And they worship. And this is kind of a very interesting word because worship, in our days, we just think of worship as times when we get together and we focus on God. But in their mindset, worship in the Orient still pretty much the same way. There's all the bowing that goes down to worship. And in the middle, in the Eastern world, the deep, the more that person is higher than you or to be reverenced, the deeper your bow. If you're kind of equal to each other, it's kind of just a nod of the head. If it's somebody who's really important, it's a, you know, you bill, you bow completely at your waist down to, you know, down to a, you know, horizontal. And if it's somebody really important, they still to this day will get down on their knees and, and put their face in the ground that this person is that important. They put, you know, literally in the Middle East, they, you, know, you see that they get down on their knees and their hands are there and they put their forehead on the ground. And that is as, as low as you can prostrate yourself other than to lay flat, you know, flat. But, you know, in that, but this is the type of, say, it, the idea of worship, to give homage, respect, reverence, uh, I love this definition of worship. To give formal acknowledgement by a vassal. A vassal is a servant, one who is owned by oh. somebody. This, you know, they, they would, back in the days of the lords and the kings, the actual commoner was called a vassal. They were the one that was, they were the servant. They were the, Serve. you know, they were, they were the lowest, basically the lowest of low. You know, they, 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 they were called vassals. And, uh, but to give formal acknowledgement that, you know, hey, you're, you're the Lord. And we don't really understand or contemplate what Lord means in our day, especially here in America. You know, the Lord had the right to tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. You know, and that was what they were, that was their position. You were totally their servant. And you do what they and said. And you did what they said. And here in America, we don't really have that concept. You know, we understand we're supposed to obey the police and obey the laws. And even the bosses sometimes, even like people's bosses, they don't really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we we in America have this, I'm independent. You can't tell me what to do. I mean, if I choose to let you do it, it's okay. But, you know, you're no better than I am. And so you're going to, you know, and no, you know, God's talking about being the Lord. He can tell us what to do. And he expects us to obey because he is the Lord and Master. And especially in America, we have a big problem with this because of our self-reliance uh, uh, attitude. You know, you know, I am, you know, nobody, nobody's going to tell me what to do because I'm equal to everybody. Nobody's better than another. And in one sense, that is true, but in another sense, it's not true. And we see this all the time through the scriptures. You know, Jesus says that we are to be servants of all. And as he was servant. Do not judge yourself any better than you are. You know? yeah, because we're not, we're really yeah. not worth anything. So we want to be careful with all of this. And Jesus said, "To be the greatest in the kingdom is to be the servant of all." And that means sometimes we say, "Well, this, you know, God, it's hard sometimes to do that because it's, God, I don't want to be the one that's being nice to this person. I don't want to do." I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to be nice to them. I don't want to love them. And he's saying, you need to. But God, you know, I, I don't deserve this. And he goes, be the servant. Be the servant. And Jesus, just as Jesus did, he was the servant of all. And it's hard. And then the, 
they can't, the 24 elders will cast their crowns. And these aren't golden crowns that we think of. These are the, the, the wreaths that they would win as victors, the crown of victory. And they throw those wreaths at, it, at, at his feet and they cry out, you are worthy, O Lord. Number one, worthy is so powerful. That's that idea of what has value. What has value out there? You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. This is powerful when we think about this. The only one worthy of glory and honor and power is God. And it says, for you have created all things. God created all things. He's the master. And if God wants to change what he made, he can do that. Just as any one of us, if we were doing painting or, or molding, you know, doing pottery. My wife used to do pottery on the wheel and, you know, and made things. If, if all of a sudden you look at it and say, I don't like this, you just brush it back down and, and restart. If you're making a painting and you really, really don't like it, you could, paint over, you could paint over the whole thing with white paint and start all over again. That's just, I didn't yeah. erase it. Well, the paint's hard to erace, but well, you know. well, I, I use paint thinner, and I just take it all off. Okay, uh, but it says you created, and we really have to understand, God is the creator; He is sovereign. If God wants to take us home, it's His right to take us home. If He wants to totally change our world and shake it upside down, He's sovereign, and it's His right to totally shake my world and turn it upside down. That's what's scary. I may not like it that much, but it's his right as the creator and sovereign of this world to do what he wants to do. And we need to be able to just humble ourselves and say, God, I'm going to do, I'm ready for you to do what you want to do. And the very end, and why did he do all this? For his pleasure. For his pleasure, they are created. created. And we are created. Why? Because he took pleasure in it. Why does he take pleasure in this world and us? I have no idea. But it says that it's done for his pleasure. And that is amazing to me. It really does amaze me that all of this is for his pleasure. The good and bad and all of it. All of it. Everything about it is for his pleasure. And wow. he turns bad into good good results okay and that's not to say the bad is good yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. he turns the the bad into some good result and sometimes that that bad is just to prepare us for some future event sometimes it's literally just to teach us patience <laughs> sometimes it's to teach us to be able to be empathetic with somebody else who's going through trouble because just think if we went through and we never had any trouble how would we deal with anybody who did have trouble? We'd go, well, you don't have enough faith. You're not living right. So God allows us to have trouble so that we'll be able to say, hey, I, fall, I failed, I fall. They fail and fall. I'm, going to I'm just going to reach out to them. Because if we lived a life that didn't have any problems, then we would not be able to deal with others <laughs> that have problems. We'd think it was their fault. And the sad thing are there are groups of Christians that do treat people like that. You know, if you're not healed, it's because you're the problem. You don't have enough faith. Well, 
I don't know about that. God has allowed some people to be sick and use them in their sickness. Paul prayed to God, and we believe it was for some sickness, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Quit asking me to heal, you know, take this away. You look at somebody like Johnny Eric, Erickson Zatata. She broke her neck as a 17-year-old and was quadriplegic. Could God have healed her? Yes, he could have healed her. She would have been a miracle, you know, lasted for a couple years yeah. telling her story. I, she has built this yeah. beautiful ministry of reaching out to other quadriplegic people and delivering wheelchairs and all. You know, she's got this great ministry. Why? Because of what she went through and all that she's gone through. If God had healed her, she would have been this wonder, yeah. wonder story for a couple of years and then nobody would know. Johnny Erickson? Who's that? Yeah. Yeah. And does that, does, does, would she probably want to have been healed? Yes. Would she have had the ministry she had by being healed? Probably not. Even just around this area, I think what is really cool whenever I fell down or something, Christina, the way she is, I said, no matter when I see her, she's always smiling, she's happy, and I said, well, that, I said, I need to quit feeling the way I feel and look at her. She's always happy. And that's part of what we look at. People yeah. will look at the way we go through hardship and say, they've got something. Yeah. They've got something that I want or need. And that's when they'll come to you and say, you know, tell me about that. How did, you, how did you go through that hard time and you stayed positive? How did you stay happy you know, and, and smile? And that draws people to you. And this is why I said on Sunday, are we living a Christianity that draws people to Christ. Or they look at it and say, well, that's what a Christian is. I don't want to have anything. To, I don't want to be a Christian. That person doesn't have love for anybody. They don't care about anybody. They're grumpy all the time. Now, if that's the Christianity we show to people, then they don't want to be, they don't want to be a Christian, and they rightfully don't want to be a Christian. If we're showing them love and kindness, not saying we're going to not yeah, fail yeah. and have problems, but if they look at us and we're generally in a good spirits, we're generally loving to people, we're generally helping people, you know, they're going to look and say, yes, they're human, they fell once in a while, but, you know, more, than off, more often than not, they are a good example. They're going to look at you and say, you know, at some point they're going to say, what is it? How can I, how can I have what you have because I want it? All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity we have to come before you and to look at your word. We ask that you go with us as we go out about this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.